Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you today. I was thinking how, you know, thinking about the Thanksgiving week, how things kind of come in circles. You know, that original Thanksgiving meal, you know, was kind of the original farm-to-table kind of meal. You know, it was uh, totally organic, non-GMO. You know, it kind of has come back around for us uh, this year. So, you know, the people who founded this church, they were Puritan farmers, and they understood the value of harvest. And in so many of the Thanksgiving hymns and a lot of the music associated with Thanksgiving has to do with this idea of harvest, this idea of God bringing us unto himself in heaven. So it's a great, uh, it's a great week to really uh, think about some of those great old hymns and maybe include some of that maybe in your Thanksgiving celebrations. Uh, last week I recommended a book called Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask, and I said if there was enough interest, we'd start an adult class to kind of talk about the book, and I'm pleased to say there was a big response, so the class is going to begin on Sunday, December 8th, and you can read the details uh, in your bulletin this morning. Uh, we'd like for people to register on the cornernj.com just so that we can order the right number of books, so please put that on your calendar, and if you're ready to take a next step in your spiritual life, we'd encourage you to come and be a part of that class. Uh, this morning, I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, a story that takes place while Jesus is recruiting Simon Peter to kind of join his team. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and I'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or on the app on your phone, uh, but let's hear God's Word together. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't worry, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. Well, this is the last message in kind of our short six-week theme on I'm spiritual but not religious. And one of the things that I've been trying to point out over the past few weeks is that the vast majority of people are open to spiritual things, open to the idea of God, open to prayer, open to having faith in something larger than themselves. And it might surprise you to learn that a lot of people are sincerely interested in what the Christian faith is all about. According to 2019 Google data, the question, what is the Bible, is Googled 1.8 million times every month. The question, who is Jesus, is Googled 1.5 million times every month. And questions like, what is the gospel, and what is salvation, what is sin, and all the rest, all those kinds of questions receive over 300,000 uh, uh, search queries a month. People are curious about the Christian faith. People are searching for answers 
But on the internet, you don't know where that search will take you, depending on what you click. You could go to heresy, or you could go to uh, a place that actually teaches the truth about Jesus. So where people go to get their answers for spiritual questions is important. And that's our struggle, because many of the folks who are spiritual but not religious have tuned out the church. They're reluctant to trust the church for answers because of their own history or, or lots of different reasons. But for many folks, the church has lost its credibility. And it's not easy to get past that barrier. So as followers of Jesus, how do we regain trust? How do we rebuild lines of communication with those outside the church? How do we, as in the words of Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, how do we earn the right to be heard? That's on us to do. That's our part. Well, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the, to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That is a great verse for all of us. Maybe even consider memorizing it. To honor Christ yourself, that's always first. Make sure He is first place in your heart. Make sure you're living in a way that reflects the reality of God's grace in your thoughts and in your, your actions and in your emotions. Make sure you're walking in the Spirit. And then be prepared, be willing to engage with people who are spiritually seeking. Be willing to talk about this hope that you have in your heart. Because that's all you have to do is just be willing to talk about what Jesus means to you. Just tell your Jesus story. You don't have to argue. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to know the Bible from cover to cover. You don't have to be some junior theologian. Just be willing to say, this is what Jesus means to me, and then tell your story. Because most people will respect that. We live in a culture that has so individualized truth that most people won't argue with your story. That's kind of a characteristic of the supposedly non-judgmental world that we live in. Folks will accept that your story is true for you. It may not work for them, but they will generally respect that your story is true for you, and that's at least a starting point. So be ready, be willing to talk about the hope that you have in your heart from Christ, because our world is desperate for hope. That's why we have the words out on our sign on the corner, hope around the corner, because we believe this church should be a place that's hope centered on Jesus Christ. So tell your story. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Your demeanor, your tone, your attitude, all that matters because if you're condescending and dismissive or superior, condemning, people are just going to turn you off right away. How you tell your story is almost as important as the story itself because nobody wants to listen to a spiritual sales pitch. That's just so phony and contrived and people will just turn you off right away. We're sick of hype, aren't we? We hear hype every single day. What we want is authenticity. We want to know if it's real. And people want to know, is Jesus real in your life? So the ball is in our court. It's up to us to build bridges, to walk across the room, to establish trust, to tell our story sensitively, treating people who might have, be of a different opinion, treating them with respect and grace. It's up to us. And this is where there's a problem. A problem in our church, and I think, quite frankly, in most churches in the United States. Because when faced with this opportunity to share... To face to this opportunity to, with people who are open to spiritual things, when we see this around us, this spiritual opportunity, often the challenge is met by a big, no way, not me. 
No way, not me. So many Christians, instead of embracing the opportunity, rising to the challenge to give that grace-filled answer, there just doesn't seem to be much passion for doing so among God's people. It's not that we don't care, but honestly, we don't care that much. We've got other things going on. We're busy living our own lives. That's sort of our attitude. Our plate is full. And so much around Christians, there just seems to be not an interest or a zeal or even a desire to connect with people about Jesus. Maybe not a yawn or a ho-hum, but faith sharing is definitely not a high priority. So much going on in the world, it's hard to get through a day without adding that onto our list of things to do. And plus, so many Christians, most of us actually feel inadequate, like our faith isn't good enough to talk about, so that's our excuse for not engaging at all. We'll sing the songs. We love the stories of the missionaries and how they engage with seekers and skeptics. We might even feel moved in a worship service, but does that impulse ever translate into real action, or is it kind of left on the side of the road with all our other good intentions? The people who are spiritual but not religious, they need committed Christians who are willing to listen to them and ask questions and give gentle answers with respect. Are you willing to be that kind of Christian. I learned a new word a couple of weeks ago, always trying to improve my vocabulary, you know. The word is slacktivism. Slacktivism. It's a real word. I looked it up. It's a noun. It means the actions people take in this media-driven age to bring about social change but that require a minimal risk or commitment. Slacktivism is just liking, reposting, retweeting, you know, a quote from your favorite politician, preacher, or pundit on your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page. And then feeling like you've really accomplished something. You've really done something for the cause. One click that takes less than two seconds requires almost zero effort. That's slacktivism. Zero commitment. It's like signing an online petition. I mean, you can feel good about it. It does absolutely no good whatsoever. It makes you feel good, but you're not really engaged with what's going on. You're not making any real impact for the cause, whether it's finding a cure for breast cancer or saving the rainforest. You haven't actually done anything, but you feel like you have. you got no skin in the game. And so slacktivism is low cost, low risk, and consequently, low reward. One of the best examples of slacktivism was the hashtag Bring Back Our Girls, the online campaign that started in April of 2014 to save the 200 Nigerian girls who were kidnapped by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram. Millions of people, celebrities, politicians, everybody was picturing their posts with that hashtag. It sounded so good. It was such a noble and righteous cause. Everybody wanted to get in on it. People looked good for supporting such a noble endeavor. But a year later, all the girls were still missing. Not one of them had been returned because nobody in America actually did anything to help find them. The interest waned. The use of the hashtag dwindled. And so though millions of people clicked and clicked and clicked their support, little or no actual effort was ever taken by those supporters. And friends, that sounds too much like the church of Jesus Christ. When it comes to our interest and our involvement in actually sharing our faith with people who are spiritual but not religious. Sure, I'll post something on my social media, but to actually engage with a real life person, forget about it to take somebody to lunch, to invite somebody into my home, to build a relationship with someone different from me that might facilitate a faith conversation down the road. Forget about it. And that brings us back to Jesus and the disciples in the lake of Genesaret. 
At this point, Jesus' popularity is really growing. He started off just preaching in the synagogues. Now he's out into the open because so many people are coming to hear what he has to say. The crowds get bigger. In this story, the people are actually pressing on to him so much he's backed up into the sea or to the lake of Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Galilee, depending on where you, which side of the lake you're on. Jesus is this creative thinker. He always makes the best use of resources at hand. He notices two boats pulled up on the sand. A fishermen have returned from their all-night work. They're washing their nets on the beach. Jesus figures he'll just borrow a boat for his pulpit. He gets into the one that belongs to Simon, asks him to put out a little bit from the shore so he can speak to the people because the water's surface actually provides a natural amplification. That was their production team back then, the water. Now Simon, he is not a, a recreational fisherman with a bamboo pole, a can of worms, and a six-pack under the gunnel. You know? This is his business. He and his partners are professional fishermen. It's hard, physically demanding work. They'd fished all night, hauling their nets in and out of the boats. They are beat, plus they had a bad night and didn't catch anything. So naturally, they're frustrated. They've been working long hours. They've got nothing to show for it. There will be no paycheck for them that day. But no matter how tired he was, Simon could not turn Jesus down because Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law, and so he was obligated. So he puts Jesus out into his boat a little ways from shore. I'm sure he fell asleep, slept through the whole sermon. He was so tired. But when Jesus finished, he turned to Simon and said, put out into deeper water, let down your nets for a catch. And this is where it gets interesting because, first of all, you got a rabbi telling a fisherman how to fish, and I don't think that would go over too well. I doubt that he appreciated Jesus' advice. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew wood. He did not know fish. Simon had fished all his life. He'd fished this lake all his life, knew the waters, knew the best spots, knew the techniques. So Simon, I think, uh, kind of respectfully says, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. And I imagine there was a pause there where he sort of expected Jesus to say, Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Well, then let's just go back to shore. But Jesus kind of lets the silence hang in the air, and then Peter realizes he's not backing down. So he takes Jesus out into deeper water. The nets get tossed over the side. Immediately, the catch is so huge, it almost swamps the boat. Peter has to call for the other guys on his team to come with the other boat and help. The catch is so big, so enormous, both boats almost start to sink as they drag this catch onto shore. Now, we have to realize what this catch would have meant to these men. This was everything they'd ever hoped for. This was a financial dream come true. They would make more money out of this one night's work than they would make in the next six months. This was the mother load of fish, two completely full boats getting ready to sink. So not only is this a financial windfall for them, but Simon's also got the bragging rights to the best fish story ever. I mean, if you ever know any fishermen, they love to tell stories about their fishing, right? So many fish, we almost swamped two boats. It's the greatest fishing story ever. So they were just over the moon excited about what had just happened. And I can imagine Jesus is watching all this passion, all this energy, all this celebration these young men are expending over what? A big pile of stinking fish. And then something happens. Simon Peter is the first to recognize that they've experienced a holy moment. His joy over this newfound wealth, it kind of runs headfirst into this sudden, shocking awareness of the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus, 
who had orchestrated the whole thing, and it just knocks him to his knees. It was like a spotlight quickly just shone onto his dark soul. There was a sudden rending of his own heart. He gets this instant view into the chasm of his own self, and he sees his hopelessness and his darkness and his emptiness. He confronts this divine power of Jesus, and so he naturally would say, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And you've got to love Jesus the way he's the master of the teachable moment, the master of using what's going on right around them to teach spiritual truth. And he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. You're going to fish for men. You're going to fish for women. Verse 11 says, so they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. What Jesus was saying to Simon Peter was something like this. Simon, there is more to life than money. There's more to you than fishing for minnows. I want to give you a grander vision for your life. I want you to do something that's going to have eternal meaning. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But there's more to you than that. You're going to join me in the greatest enterprise of all, changing human hearts, changing souls for eternity. If you thought it was exciting to have a big pile of fish, I'm going to show you something that's a thousand times more. A changed life. I know you'd make good money taking that pile of fish to the market today, but instead of netting a few more dollars, just imagine changing a few destinies. That's where the real action is. All your life you've been fishing for minnows. In comparison with seeing men and women come to faith, you've been fishing for minnows. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for the small stuff. There's more to life than that. Follow me. Impact the world with me. Change the world with me. Don't ever settle for anything less. That was the heart of the invitation Jesus gave to Peter and to uh, James and John beside the lake of Genesaret. But it's the same invitation he's given to his followers all through the centuries and even today. You can get in on this too. You can get in on my plan to bring people under the umbrella of God's grace. Imagine that. Imagine your life being used so that someone else can experience the abundance of God's grace. If you're open and willing to engage with people who are spiritual but not religious, who are open, who are spiritually seeking, Jesus wants to give you the thrill of seeing lives changed by grace. Maybe you've been fishing for minnows all of your life, even as a Christian. Maybe your pile of minnows is finding that job with the right title or the right income. And that's about the only thing you can ever think about. Maybe your minnows are other people that you're so totally invested in these relationships that you've almost squeezed Christ out of your life. Maybe your pile of minnows is just yourself and all your issues and all your problems and all your disappointments. Maybe your minnows are just being perpetually busy all the time running from one thing to another. Jesus has a bigger purpose for your life than that. He wants you to push out into deeper water, push out into deeper meaning, push out into deeper impact, become a fisher of men and women. Jesus now, he never condemned Simon's occupation as a fisherman. Later on in the Gospels, we'll see Peter and the disciples, they go fishing again. They still needed to make money, but they were not the same men they were before. Fishing now had a different meaning in their lives because they were committed to the cause of Christ. That took first place. It guided what they did. Jesus doesn't condemn anybody for their career or their personal pursuits as long as it's, you know, legal and moral. But he is calling you, calling all of us out of slacktivism, out of minimal effort and risk, doing the minimum with your faith in Christ. 
He wants you to embrace a bigger vision for your life as one of his disciples because the sea is full of fish who are spiritually hungry. And Jesus needs you to man the nets. Jesus' bigger vision will look different for every person depending on your stage of life and your particular circumstances. I think Jesus is essentially saying, take what you're already good at, what you're already doing, but shift your motivation and your focus. He's not asking you to leave your job, go to seminary, become a missionary. What he's asking you to do is right where you are this week, change your mindset. Begin to see people through Jesus' eyes. Be aware of their needs. Be mindful of their struggles. And then maybe just start by praying for the people that you encounter every day. Just start there. Just start praying for them. And then be ready because Jesus will bring you opportunities. You will need to be prepared to respond with gentleness and respect. That's why God has you where you are to be his man, his woman, his student, his child. That is your fishing hole. Sharing the good news of Christ with people who are spiritually hungry. What's great is that it doesn't have to be a solo job. We also do it together as the body of Christ. We lock arms with each other. We team up with each other. And so we have teams of people who lead small group Bible studies and, and, our, and, and other things. We team up to lead the high school and the junior high ministry. We team up to reach children with the gospel. It was mentioned last week that we have over 250 people involved in the children's ministry every year. That's just staggering to me. It's so awesome. That's why we are just so wild about our children's ministry. Because it does such a great job, not just with the children, but by creating opportunities for adults and teens to serve and to share the gospel with others. So that's why we're using this year's Thanksgiving offering to financially support our children's ministry. And it needs our support. No slacktivism allowed. If there was ever a time to shed our slacktivism, it's now. As we come together to do something positive for our children's ministry. And one of the ways we do that is through the Thanksgiving offering. A few weeks ago, Don and I had a little mini vacation. We visited some friends in Pennsylvania, went to church with them. And whenever I visit a church, I'm always interested in stealing ideas. You know, whatever it is that they're doing, is there a fresh idea that I could bring back to our church? And it was interesting because that church was, it was the first Sunday for their Thanksgiving offering, and they were also doing it for a local mission that they were involved with. So I was kind of intrigued by, okay, how would this pastor approach uh, sharing it with the congregation. And he said, literally, he said he'd been asked, people in the congregation were asking him for a number. Just give us a number of what we should give for the Thanksgiving offering. And he was reluctant to do that, but decided to put a number on the screen, $39.95. And he joked it's like he was trying to sell a set of knives on the Home Shopping Network or something like that. $39.95. He chose that number because he knew it was a reachable number for most of the people in the congregation. For some people, it would be a stretch that aren't fixed incomes or they're just kind of in a tight situation. So if a gift was less than that, perfectly okay. It's between you and the Lord anyway. But he also said this was pocket change for most of the people in the church. They spent more than that on coffee every week. For many people, that's one takeout dinner during the week. So that number was not a stretch for most of the people in the congregation. And then he said, in fact, most of the people could put another number in front of that number. And some people could easily, very easily, put two numbers in front of that number. The point he was going for was not the number, but for 100% participation. And that's the idea that I thought we should bring home. 100% participation in the Thanksgiving offering, because helping children come to know Jesus is so worth it. The challenge is 100% participation. Because this is our church, this is our mission field. 
We are engaged with spiritually seeking adults, spiritually seeking teens, but also spiritually seeking children. And it takes money to do what we do for the glory of God. So we're focusing in on our children for this Thanksgiving offering because we all know it's the building block of the rest of the church. So many people, so many adults, we heard it this morning, connect through our church primarily first through the children's ministry. It's absolutely essential. In many ways, it will predict the future of our church. So wouldn't it be great if we had 100% participation in supporting this aspect of our local mission? And so that's why we have those white envelopes in the pews this morning. Would it be great if everybody put something in one of those envelopes? I mean, the amount, honestly, I could care less about the amount. That's always between, you know, each person and the Lord. I honestly don't care if it's a dollar or $10,000. If it's a quarter or two nickels, I really don't care. That's between people and the Lord. The amount is not the important thing. It's the commitment that counts. You don't have to do anything now. You don't have to do anything today. If you want to, that's fine. You can give it to the usher on the way out. But we never, in our church, we never want people to feel in any way pressured to give. Uh, that's just not how we work here. So just stick that envelope in your pocket and take it home with you. Pray about it. And if you feel it's the right thing to do, put something in it and bring it back next week. But here's the main idea. Church, let's stop fishing for minnows. Let's not slip into slacktivism. Low commitment, low risk, minimal action. When there are so many adults and teens and children who are spiritually seeking. As a church, let's push out into deeper water. Let's go out where the big fish are. Let's be committed to the cause of Christ. Let's join in with what Jesus is doing. Let's be open to those conversations, willing to share our personal Jesus story with gentleness and respect. Let's unite together in local mission. Let's go fishing for what matters most, men and women, children. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful story and what a challenge it is for us to go with you out into deeper water. Help us not settle for fish and for minnows, Lord. Life, you've got a bigger vision for us than that. Help us to embrace that bigger vision and to join you in what you are doing to change this world. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.